0: It's good to be here with you today and have the opportunity to share with you something that I have a very serious passion about, and that is, as we've talked about, revitalization. Um, before I do that, I had this on mind. I, I just want to praise God for our praise team that leads us every week. Uh, really do a great job, and, and I enjoy worshiping because you know what? I see them up here worshiping they're not up here for the show but uh up here to praise god and lead us in that so i praise god for you janet and i spent our time in uh, some very difficult places doing difficult things that the lord called us to do and i if I told you I did it all well, I would be lying. If I told you that I didn't uh, at times want to run, which I did, but the Lord wouldn't let me. Um, it's very, very difficult work. And, and uh, for those of you that have, I'm not going to say more about her other than this. For those of you that have gotten to know Janet, you know definitely she is my better half. And uh, she's tough too. So I thank God you have to be tough. So our time in these churches was uh, spent primarily doing the difficult things. People don't like change, but you have to change. You can't keep doing the same thing the same way over and over again. That's You know know what that is. That's a definition of uh, insanity. You have to change. The key is knowing when to change, how to change. But is if there is spiritual revitalization in the life of a church, and people get honest and right with the Lord, <clears throat> they check their attitudes at the door. And they check their preferences at the door. And they want to see, uh, they want to see God work in the life of their church. So, you know, part of the revitalization is bringing everyone together, heading in the right direction, And as we were going through these difficult times, our desire uh, for our churches that we were leading is that they would look very much like you do. The structure of Antioch. And we led them that way. The church in Harrisburg would look a lot like this church. But the funny thing is, God didn't leave us in those churches to enjoy the fun times. Yes, we had fun. But when you get healthy and you're going in the right direction, it's exciting. And people want to be involved in it. So I think our church, I would say, from what I know of it, is healthy. And and as Brad prayed, that we, we might be uh, convicted to allow ourselves to be used and the revitalization process in other churches. And I think that would even make us even more healthy when we start helping other churches that desperately need our help. and, And so many want our help. But we at times don't find people that are willing to help. So our prayer today in this message, which is in Nehemiah, if you haven't turned there already, turn to Nehemiah 1, chapter 1. But the, the message today, I hope that you will listen to it, listen to the principles of what Nehemiah led the people through, and realize that God can do anything. That's one, that's one thing I went in, if I say it as positive to both churches, I went in believing that God could do anything, and I've seen him do extraordinary things. My prayer before we went into the Tennessee church was, Lord, it was Moses' prayer. Lord, we can't go before, we can't go forward unless you go before us. And I watched the Lord go before us many, many times in ways that I don't have time to share today. So, the outcome today, what's God calling you to do, if anything, in the area of revitalization? Which brings me to my first point in my sermon. Is the dire need for revitalization in our churches now, young disciples? That word you need in there is revitalization. If you look at that word, a little tip for our younger ones: there's the word a Latin root of vita in there, which means life. So what this is doing is bringing back to life that which had life and that that had died. And I love. The lord jesus and i love his churches as i know you do as well Uh, we are part of the larger church the universal church of jesus christ and we have we have parts and many parts and other churches have things going on as well but god brings us all together for the most part there are some disagreements out there but for the most part brings us all together striving to bring the gospel to North America in our context. And, and that's what I want to tell you today is the church in North America is in serious trouble. And you may already know that. It'd be lovely to sit up here and preach you something that was so exciting, so positive, but the truth is the church in North America is struggling. And as a body of believers, in this room you know we are a living organization organism we are a living organism and we go through life like that but we are part of that larger organism that we know as the church and all churches will need revitalization at some point i want you to look with me at the uh, if you want to the lord's words we're not going to read revelation 2 and 3 I'm going to look at Revelation 2, 4. But as we understand whether revitalization is biblical, we just quickly go to Jesus' letters to the churches in in chapters 2 and 3. And he's telling them what they need to do to revitalize. And you don't have to go far into the text in chapter 2, verse 4. It says this, Jesus says this to the church in Ephesus. He says, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Now that could happen to us. We could lose our way. It could happen to other churches as well, and it does. And Jesus is even reminding the churches that had not been in business long, already they need revitalization. And so we see that, that all things, human beings, churches, go through this life cycle. Our church is in a life cycle. I want to put a bell curve up on the slide if it's uh, available and I don't know if you can see it or not, but this is helpful in understanding what revitalization is. So, look at the left side, that would be birth, would be the planting of a church. And that church would grow and it would mature and at some point in time, it will peak. And then if changes aren't made, it will go in a period of decline, sickness, and then death. And so every church should examine regularly where, where do you believe you are on that life cycle? The best place to revitalize a church is, is somewhere between maturity and peak before it ever peaks and then you start the bell curve all over again. And so when we're talking about that, that's, that's something to keep in your mind, a visual image of what I'm talking about, because I, here's the news for us in our association. Hey, pray, for, pray for all of us down there trying to help. Uh, oftentimes there's churches that don't want our help and we've got things to offer that could benefit them. But uh, pray for our staff there, please. And I want to tell you something, we're blessed to have Todd there. And he doesn't like me talking about it. But when I came up here two years ago, I really didn't know what I was getting into. So some of you that have been involved in associations, they're all different, but they shouldn't be. And Todd has the vision of leading the Louisville Association in places uh, that, that honestly most aren't. And I praise God for him and i thankful for him to be, uh, be part of his team. And we're blessed to have him. Now, can I keep my job? <laughs> I say all that to say this, he inherited something and I inherited something that's in trouble. Listen to this, 80% of our churches in the Louisville Regional Baptist Association have either peaked or in decline. And many of them are far down the decline scale. And now think about that for a minute. 80% uh, of young men going to Southern, if they wanted to stay in Louisville, there'd be 80% chance they would be called to a church that was in poor health. And seminary doesn't teach us that, does it? It doesn't teach us what to do when you find a sick, sick church. And we've got tools to help them, to help people understand where they are and how to help them forward. There's, you know, you think about the reasons I said is in dire shape, and it is. I don't want don't to picture that as gloom because I know Jesus loves his church more than we love it. And I know Jesus wants them to come back alive. And so all we have to do is just say, hey, Lord, use me. If you want this to happen, use me. God, bring this to life here in Louisville. And just think about the reasons that they're in this shape. Culture changes in communities. We got one obvious church, which I can't mention, but it was in an area where there was a huge manufacturing facility and when all that work went overseas, the people who had bought their houses around there and worked at that factory didn't have any work anymore. And they moved out. And the whole culture of that church has changed in the area of the demographics is primarily Hispanic. And there's a Hispanic church that meets there and it's really exciting. But the mother church there is struggling. It's changed and they didn't change. Hang on, a minute, I lost I got happy and lost my place. What here here's another key In church, we, we have to be willing to look at these things ourselves. I think years and years, and primarily my generation, but years and years there has been no intentional discipleship in our churches. And therefore our members are not as mature as they should be. And when problems come, they don't know how to handle those problems in a Christ-centered way. So go back and look at the root as discipleship and we need to be intentionally discipling one another. Here's something that Todd and I heard a few weeks ago meeting with the church when we asked them what was wrong with the church. One fellow said apathy. Apostle. Well, that's, that's true. That's a real issue. And I think it's also due to years of what I call easy believism, where you walk down the aisle, shake my hand, join church, and you would be gone in two or three weeks, two or three months. It's years of following on the wrong indicators of what a healthy church looks like. We were taught in many ways to, wrongly I would say, to measure your success by how big your budget was, how big your buildings are, and how many people you have. And you can have a big building and a lot of people and their spiritual maturity might be that deep. You can't measure health by those indicators and that's, that's what's happened. And I you know, I'm just, you know I'm also and I'm just being brutally honest with you today. It's all I know to do. I I don't see some things happening in our denomination that should be happening to help sick churches. I got a chance to ask a few of our leaders what what was going on with revitalization and they didn't know how to answer me but told me that nam was working on it um, i think i think for us it's a, it's a reckoning time because it doesn't get addressed i think and if i'm too cynical you correct me after it's over i think they they just they don't want to admit the problem Acknowledge it because that would mean there's a huge problem in our denomination. I love being a Southern Baptist. I love the fact that we can agree on the Baptist faith and message and that we can have our own identity and that we can be autonomous and and we're congregational led to a certain point where we need to be healthy. But to let our elders do the work, I believe in the way we're going. I'm just telling you how we got to, to the place we're at, in my opinion, and that needs to come in prayer. That, you know, uh, and I, I will say some of our, some of our state conventions are are doing this, uh, doing what I'm going to share with you later, and 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 some of them are uh, addressing it. So it, there is positive work being done, but I think this is more of all hands on deck time or we're going to see more and more churches close in the coming year. And Todd, I'm glad he addresses it head-on like I do. Sometimes, well, not sometimes, but mostly he is, uh, well, he says things a little better than I do, in a way that's a little better, and I I like that. And I like that, but uh, I'm just blunt to the point, and it gets me in trouble sometimes. And he can bail me out because he's better at that. But we need help in revitalization work for those that might be called to do it, for churches that might be willing to take couples and a uh, pastor and seed that congregation and help them come back alive. We need churches that might help financially with churches that can't afford to do anything to revitalize. There's all kinds of needs and there's all ways to help. And so, as I ask you all these things, be in prayer for how God would use you personally and how how uh, God might use our church to move in a way that we need to do to be involved. And that brings me to my book of Nehemiah, my scripture, and it's one of my favorites. And, and church, if you want to read a book uh, through on leadership in the Bible, read Nehemiah and read it through the lens of a leader in leadership principles and you I think you'll see that they're just absolutely beautiful and why am I preaching Old Testament to you today about revitalization because while Nehemiah was working on Jerusalem the principles that we can learn from Scripture on how to respond are to lie within the book of Nehemiah so as you're turning there you may already be there let me give you just a little bit of the background. First, you have to look at Ezra. Ezra, the book of Ezra, and the book of Nehemiah were at once one book, and it was separated, and I don't remember why. But there's a whole story in that. Ezra was the priest, and in 516 BC, the temple was rebuilt again. And in 58 years after the temple was rebuilt, Ezra left Babylon for Jerusalem and he begins his work in the spiritual side, in the temple. But the Jerusalem's walls, they lay in rubble. And then 13 years after Ezra came in 445 B.C. or around that time, we find Nehemiah. And when he asked about the question about Jerusalem and about the remnant that was there, And as we see in this, what I love about this is the beginning of God using a layman, a layperson, to rebuild his city. And it's a powerful story. You see, God was taking care of the spiritual side in Ezra, and now he's called Nehemiah to come and rebuild the city walls and the gates. So as we look at the next point, Nehemiah had heartfelt concern for God's people and Jerusalem. Nehemiah had heartfelt concern. That's what goes in your blank, young disciple. And we're going to look at at verses one through three, but I want you to hear Nehemiah's heart and his concern for his brother and fellow believers. I want you to hear his heartfelt concern for Jerusalem the city of God. Look with me at verses one through three. In the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and they believe that he was, some believe that was his actual brother. One of my brothers came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. I think it'd be fair to say that some of our churches are in great trouble and shame. Some are hungry for help and want to change. Now, what I love about Nehemiah is his heart, the first thing he asks in this is about the remnant, about God's people who were left there and about the city. He cared and that's really what we need from other churches And other Christians, is that that caring attitude to come and, and to say, you know, how can I pray? What can I do? And then we see Nehemiah, as I was telling you, and his position. Nehemiah was in the king's palace. You know, it'd be real easy for us to be in that kind of environment, serving the king, the cupbearer, and not worrying about people. I'm living in the palace. Our liturgy we read this morning from Haggai was that you all live in your paneled cities. I'm paraphrasing why Jerusalem is is hurting. Now, I'm not saying that of you, but apathy can sink in real easy in the life of a church. And pray it never does here. And then we see where Nehemiah was. We learn that he cared about God's people more than he cared about his position. And and we need to be with our sister churches and our brothers and sisters just the same way with the same care that Nehemiah had. And some of them are so close by, you wouldn't believe it. And just like Nehemiah, had a heart for God's people in despair. We need our associational churches to have heartfelt concern for one another. And many do. And many do. And I know we do as well. And so Nehemiah recognized the need and that the next point, young disciples, is that Nehemiah reacted to the news about Jerusalem with heartbreak. Heartbreak. Look with me at verses three through 11. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, this is key. This is the, the core of this scripture about Nehemiah. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. His heart broke for God's people. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. He made it personal there. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the words that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, you are unfaithful. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them through your outcast, your outcast are in the uttermost parts of heaven. From there, I will gather them and bring them to a place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success in your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. And he's praying all this. Let's look, look how he responded. When he heard the news about Jerusalem and God's remnant, his heart broke you ever had a broken heart? I have. His heart broke. I believe it actually broke into the point that we sometimes grieve over. And he wept and mourned for days. But not only that, he continued to fast and pray. And he didn't just throw up a prayer. He prayed and fasted for around four months. That's how much his heart broke. That's how much his desire was to help God's people he he fasted and prayed for 4 months now let, Donald Whitney says this about fasting fasting doesn't guarantee you will get God's answer you want but it is and I'm paraphrasing it is letting God know how serious you are when you begin sacrificing food from your plate and fasting When the situation that many of our churches are facing today and really the culture that all of us have to participate in and operate in, we need to ask God to break our hearts for his church, not just for revitalization, but that our churches would become strong because there's so many people around our churches that are lost when we get a church that closes down if they don't if they don't give it to another church that building can be lost and you know what else can be lost in that community the gospel footprint that that church brought for decades and many years there, there's people there carrying the torch and trying to do their best but it, they know it's time to pass that torch on to the next generation but they're not there They're not in the building. And that's a problem for all of our churches. And we can help. And we can learn so much from Nehemiah's prayer to God. He prayed, praised God. He praised God and and he reminded God of his promises to Israel. And and Christ has promised us promises about the church as well. We have powerful promises from God to stand on today. First of all, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Another promise is fear not, little flock, because it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God wants to give the kingdom. And then Matthew 24, 30 through 31, it says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and all tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That's God's promises to us. His promises for the church is victory. And then also listen how Nehemiah pleaded with God in verse 7. He repented for the people in detailed confession. Now, that doesn't get talked about a lot, the need for repentance. But we're all sinners, and we all need to repent when God calls us and breaks our heart. But Nehemiah here is, is praying. Listen to verse 7. We have acted very corruptly against you, have not kept the commandments, the statute, and the rules, that you commanded your servant Moses. Yeah. Verse eight through 10, he asked God to restore Jerusalem and his people. He said, ask the Lord to hear his prayers. And he asked the Lord to give him success. He says in verse eight, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me, keep my commandments and do them. Though you are outcast, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to a place that I've chosen to make my name dwell. They are the servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. He prayed for success. When I first went down Tennessee, I had some of the staff think I was mystical. No, I'm not. <laughs> Here's the reason: because I would pray to God and expect Him to answer. Now, is that <laughs> have we fallen that far that we don't believe God will answer? I do. In His way and His time, He will answer. So, church. I ask you, will, will you, not not right this minute, we're gonna pray at the end of the message, but will you join me in prayer for the church in Louisville? Will you commit it to prayer and pray for it regularly? And pray that God's promises for the church will be fulfilled in them. And pray for the churches that need to repent, that they'll repent and pray for the success that will help them come to life. And pray that God will use us as see fit. Pray that. Nehemiah asked about God's people in Jerusalem. Nehemiah's heart broke when he heard the news. Our heart ought to break that We have 80% of our churches that are plateaued or declining. And then my final point, Nehemiah responded to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem's need when God provided. Now there's a lot in that. You have to pray for success, but we need to wait on God to show us what it looks like and not get ahead of God. And that can happen so easy in our desire to run fast and change things. But we need to have the maturity to hold back and wait and know that God's saying, I want you to go this way. Look at Nehemiah 2, 1 through 5. We're almost done here in just a minute. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I've not been sad in his presence. So he'd been there for years. He's not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city and the place of my father's graves lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So he prayed again. You ever done that when somebody asks you by something, you start praying quietly in your mind, Lord, make this work? He says, so I prayed to God in heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. His heartbrokenness showed in his countenance throughout his time of the four months, so much so that the people around him knew that his heart was broken. And the king asked him about that. He, he knew Nehemiah was sad, and he asked him, God used that to open the door, to let, excuse me, to let things come alive the king recognized and even though he's had fear he's very much afraid Nehemiah trusted God and courageously spoke up and immediately he prayed and asked God to direct him and the king you're at a moment where you didn't have enough courage to be as bold as you need to be I have just work through it and keep going but Nehemiah had that boldness And here's what made Nehemiah so special. Listen, it's so special that the Jews recorded his story and put it in the Old Testament. That's how special Nehemiah was to God's people because he had deep, genuine concern for God's people and their home in Jerusalem. And at God's direction, Nehemiah did something about the situation. You know what the key to doing God's work, one of the keys? It's just being available. Nehemiah said, "Here I am. Use me, God." And at God's direction, he did something. He he offered himself. He asked for letters from the king to supply the necessary supplies he needed and for safe passage. And with the king's seal of authority, here here is this Gentile king given resources to build Jerusalem's wall. And then the rest of the story with Nehemiah. His leadership led to the restoration of Jerusalem. You know how long it took to build the walls and restore the gates? It took 52 days. Now think about that for just a little bit. When you think about God can do anything. The wall, as I've looked up, is about two and a half miles long, and it's about eight foot thick. And so they did in fifty-two days by hand restore that wall and those gates, and God moved in them. Not only did that, sabotage came, and that happens in revitalization. And they had to they had Nehemiah and the others had to hold a sword in one hand and work with the other. But they didn't give up because they were courageous and they knew that God was with them. So you gotta know that there's gonna be. Opposition when you try to change things. And know that God's going to take care of you. Yes, you may be beat up and tore up. And Brad gave me a book to read called The Body Keeps Score. It does. It does. And I feel the pains of revitalization, but I wouldn't trade it for anything else. I feel those pains. So... Nehemiah and others, they just did what God had directed them to do. And they were successful. And I want to say to you tonight, today, is, is that Jesus is still in the revitalization business. <laughs> and he wants his churches to be revitalized. You know, it's glamorous and it's needed. Nothing against church planting, but a lot of people take a look at the mess of the churches and they say, I won't be a church planter. And that's okay. But we need people to take a look at the message and say, God, if you'll use me, (laughs) I'll say yes. And go into that. You know, if we go through some sort of change in the years, months, and years to come to revitalize, you know, the, the thing you have to remember is Good things will come. Don't give up. There is spiritual warfare involved in revitalization. But our king, we win. We win. So this is a glimpse of Nehemiah. And it's also just a glimpse of the gospel. People were broken in Jerusalem and the town was broken. Why? Because they disobeyed God. But Jesus fixes broken. He fixes broken cities. He fixes broken churches. He fixes broken hearts. And he fixes broken people. And I stand before you as one of those. And I will say to you that all of us have been broken at some point in our lives. We are sinners separated by God by our sin. But God. But God sent his only son to die for our sins on the cross to save us from our sins through faith in him he was buried and on the third day he rose again he's alive today and he sits on that throne and prays for his people I know and prays for the churches to get strong he loves his church So much so, he died for it, and he loves us. You know, and today, what we participate here in the Lord's Supper is a glimpse of the gospel. And on the day he was betrayed, Jesus broke bread, and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body given for you. He gave his body and then likewise he took from the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. And I say, praise God that he did that for us and let's remember it today as we go through this time in just a minute. Those of you that know the Lord Jesus have gone through baptism into the body are welcome to partake from the table. But if you don't know Jesus, we want you to know him. And while we're taking the Lord's Supper, go see one of our, our elders, our pastors. and Talk to them about what it means to come to Jesus and what it means to say, Maybe it's just to go back and say, Pastor, I'm convicted that I need to do something to help the church. Whatever it is, go back and see them. And let's partake in this and remember all at once the beauty and the celebration of it and the horror of it as well, of what he went through. Examine our hearts during this time of prayer because he tells us to and come with an open heart to receive his meal. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so very much that you look down on us, your believers, us sinners saved by grace. And you see also those that you want to have a relationship with. And may they Come to you at your appointed time, Lord, but we desire for them to be saved as well. Oh God, help us to be involved in the revitalization of our sister churches through prayer, committed prayer times, prayer team, whatever, people willing to go and help whatever god would have and that's our desire lord just make us into what you want us to be made into as we reflect and as we partake in what you've done for us we ask all this in jesus name amen